Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Life and Purpose podcast. Um, it's International Women's Month. As we said in the last episode, this is the month where we should just celebrate and think about the women who have been there along our journeys and who have been our anchor and our support and also women who are really, really working hard and trying to to shine and to um, succeed in their areas. So think about those women in your lives and let them know how much they mean to you and your journey. And the other day I was reflecting on my story and where I have come from in terms of my career and the women who have been there supporting me and ensuring that I am in the right track. And I thought, why not uh, tell you guys a little bit about my story, where I came from, how every challenge or opportunity that came along my way either had to be seized or overcome in order for me to be where I am today. And let me start right back from when I was in class eight. So I was not a straight A student. <laughs> we had a straight A enough, a straight A in our family. I was not a straight A, but I was a good above average B student. Yeah. So I grew up in Naivasha, as I have said in the introductory episode of this podcast. And both my parents were teachers. Actually, my mom taught me some subjects in primary school. So education for us was the only thing. It was the only thing that we were eating, sleeping and drinking in that household. And so we had these dreams of passing our class 8 exams and going to a good school. And that time, the good school that we had in mind was Naivasha Girls, which was actually quite a good school. At that point, it was a provincial school in in the country and it was a good performing school and all of us in the primary school it was a day primary school there was there was in all the girls uh were just focusing on getting grades good enough to get them to that school so anyway class eight comes we do our Kenya Certificates of Primary Education exams. And then that time it used to take a bit of time before the results could come out. So there was, I think, a three or four month period between when the exams were done to when we could get our results. So it happened that when I did my class eight, my grandmother, my mom's mom was very ill. And my aunties had been taking turns in taking care of her, but there was nobody who was there constantly. So I was requested if I could go in and take care of her. So I, I packed my bags, went to Nakuru where she used to live and took care of her. And it wasn't easy, especially for somebody that age, because she was admitted in hospital, which was quite far from where she lived in Rongai. So every morning I'd have to get up early, prepare her meals, trek about two kilometers, get into a public transport and get to hospital. She was in the district hospital in Nakuru town, feed her, be with her the entire day. Sometimes I'd have to spend the night with her, especially if her condition was not so good. So it was a very tough time also for me. And also the fact that she was in a very critical 
um, stage and together with other patients who are also critically ill. So I would go in the morning and she will tell me so-and-so passed on last night or this morning so-and-so has passed on or some of the people in her ward would pass on whilst I was there. So it was a very dark moment. You know, I'm here trying to take care of her. She had diabetes complications that really, really, you know, she was in a lot of pain. She, My shoshu was in a lot of pain. So... I remember one night, actually one time, uh, my dad and mom traveled from Naivasha to Nakuru to come and see her in hospital. And so, of course, we met because I was the one who was caregiving. And when they looked at me, my mom was like, no, I have to go back with you. <laughs> you need to take a break from this because I think I had experienced the sadness and the death and just the fatigue of taking care of a sickly person that I had it had sucked out the life in me. So I recall she talked to my, one of my aunties and they, they took over as I took a week's break. So anyway, all this to say that when the results of K the KCPE results were announced, I was in a crew at my grandmother's house. Um, and then soon after, we got the calling letters for uh, high school. And of course, I, my first choice had been Naivasha Girls, but then the, the calling letter came and I was called to another provincial school, equally good actually, but it was in Molo, it was called Marymount, I think. And I remember my mom calling me and telling me, Shiko, we have your letter, but it's not for Naivasha Girls, it's for this school. My God, I was devastated. <laughs> I cried. I was like, no, that's not what I wanted. My first choice was this school. Didn't I pass well enough and all that? So anyway, we tidied things up. And after a few days, I traveled back home so that I could get ready for high school. One Saturday, my mom and I were in the house. My dad was not at home. And this complete stranger walks up to our house. And she's carrying a calling letter of her daughter who had also gotten almost the same grades that, like I had. And she had a calling letter for Naivasha girls. And the man explained that, you know, us guys come closer to Molo where Marymount is. And my daughter had really wanted to go to Marymount. And I have talked to a few people. Remember, my mom is a teacher, so her circle of friends and also my dad were all teachers. So somehow they had had... They had talked and said, you know, yeah, my daughter got, to, got called to this school, but she really wanted this other school. So anyway, the guy's like, I have heard that your daughter really wanted to go to Naivasha Girls. My daughter really wanted to go to Marymount. They have been called to the opposite uh, schools. So I'm here to make you an offer. Why don't we exchange the letters and you can take my daughter's slot in Naivasha Girls and I can take your daughter's, my daughter can take your daughter's slot at Marymount. Of course, we were like, yeah, God has had our prayers. All my tears have been wiped. This is the opportunity that I have been waiting for. We embraced the letter. We took it. We said goodbye. I don't even think we, they exchanged contacts because it was, you know, done deal. Sounds simple enough. We've exchanged letters. Everybody has a slot in their dream school. Life moves on. Evening came and my dad... Uh, of course, came back home and we told him what had happened. My goodness, hell broke loose in that house that day. <laughs> I was remembering this and just laughing because 
my dad went bonkers. He was like, you did what? Exchange letters with who? Where do they come from? Oh my God, he wasn't seeing how we didn't see the risk of doing that without consulting the school or whatever. And here we were actually now starting to see his point. But then we are like, eh, you know, we were strong in the faith and saying, no, you take it easy. It's going to work out okay. We are going to go to school on Monday, Naivasha girls, and talk to the headmistress. What we didn't know is that this guy had already talked to the principal of Marymount and they had told him that he could get... um a slot of somebody who had been called there. So he had already done his homework before. So us guys who are here hadn't done homework and we are approaching the principal and she's like, you did what? <laughs> oh my goodness. We, I remember the first time we went to Naivasha Girls with that letter for that girl. She was called Mary somebody, I'll never forget. And um the principal was like you guys are ridiculous how dare you take this matter so casually and she she sent us away and we went home and of course my dad was furious she's like my daughter secured a good spot in a good school but because you thought the only school is Naivasha girls then you exchange your letters anyway so my mom and I did pray quite a bit that time and my mom would go to Naivasha girls almost daily and just sit at the principal's office sometimes she'd be made she'd be made to wait at the reception sometimes she would see her and she was so persistent that eventually about a week to when students were supposed to supposed to report she was told okay bring that letter of yours. They changed, um, of course, the names and whatever. So they gave me an admission letter for Naivasha girls <laughs> and gave me the reporting date and the reporting requirements. So anyway, went back home, the happiness, my dad felt so relieved and I could see, you know, looking back, I could see where he was coming from, but my dad can't really, well, <laughs> he was really, really angry. So anyway, we got ready and I went to school and it was so weird because when I went, I joined Naivasha Girls, my dream school, the first two years was, I was completely in disarray. I was not myself. I was not performing. I was not doing my best. Actually, I was scoring ease in subjects like mathematics and physics. So the first two years were really tough. I think I was also going through a lot of changes in my body and, you know, all that good stuff. So anyway, uh, I get to form three and I think I get an awakening that I'm soon going to be out of here and I cannot afford to go out with bad grades. So I tighten up my belt. I work extra hard. I attend extra tuition classes over the holidays and I turned it around. So by the time I was leaving, I, I scored a, a pretty good uh, grade. And, you know, once again, did a bit of... Uh, taking care of my grandma when I had completed my form four and then she got better. I Most parents were trying to get us, the kids, uh, something to, to do between the time you finish uh, form four and the time you go to university because it used to take a whole lot of time, I think a year and a half, for you to get called to the university and for you to report to the university. So my mom got me a job. And this job was in an electrical hardware shop. 
and I had this boss who was not I had I never saw him smile. Actually, I I only saw Mr. Kero's smile <laughs> after much later, like after I had left his place, I had come to Nairobi, got in a finished my campus, got in a job, and then I bumped into him much later. And he was like, Yeah, this is why I was tough on you so that you could have you could make something out of yourself. Anyway, so I get to this job and this guy is so tough. He's not laughing. He takes me through his entire shop and he used to have a huge shop, yeah? His entire shop telling me what the things are and the prices. And then he told me, I'm giving you today. This is the list of things. This is what these things do. And I mean all the electrical appliances and electrical wires and everything electrical that's used in building it, Yeah. So he's like, these are the this is the list of things. These are their prices. This is what these things do. So I've given you today to learn everything. And tomorrow, the following day, he came and he was practically using a stick, pointing at things. What is this? What does it do? How much is it? What is it? And he wasn't giving me a moment to breathe. And when I missed on something, he would really scold me. And that took me three days. And by the third day, I am telling you, I could sing <laughs> everything in that shop, their use and the prices. So after like a week, he was very comfortable leaving me in the hardware shop and he would go and do his work. So I did that. I sold the electrical stuff. And who knew I'd come to utilize that knowledge somewhere later on in my career. Completely, uh, you know, completely coincidental which I'll talk about um, uh, later on so anyway I worked for him I worked the sales were doing okay but now there was a problem the guy wasn't paying me one month goes second month goes no talk no pay and I'm starting to get frustrated because of course I have needs I go to work every day and I'm you know so I got to a point I talked to my mom I was like mom I haven't been paid this is the third month and she was like, eh, that's a bit much. I'll talk to the guy. So my mom looked for an opportunity, talked to the guy. And the guy came to the to the office or rather the hardware shop and asked me, Wanjiko, why could you remind me to pay you? I had forgotten. And I was like, what? At that point, I was really, really offended. I'm like, how can you forget? You see me here every day. <laughs> I'm making sales for you. How can you forget to pay me? So anyway, one of the lessons that I learned from that period was that don't be afraid to ask for what is yours or what is due to you because I don't know why I wasn't asking. So anyway, he paid me full dues. And with time, he wanted to introduce the wife into the business. So he brought the wife and he made me teach the wife the business and then he would now come in the evening and do the same <laughs> test that he was doing to me when I first joined on the wife so after a while the wife got to know and understand the business and then he diversified and that time we used to have these common uh, phone booths that people would come pay up some money and then uh, they're allowed to make a phone call, but they had to have an operator who would set the time equivalent to the money that you're paying for. It was called Simuya Jami, like community phone, loosely translated. And he bought one, built a booth right outside his hardware shop. And guess what? Who was told to go to the booth? One and only Wanjiko. So I left the hardware for the wife to sell. 
and I moved to the senior journey. And all my friends from Naivasha know that I was here for quite a while. They'd come and hang out with me from my senior journey. And I was there for about a year, to be honest. I worked for the guy for about a year. And then came the following year, 2015. And over time, I had been telling my dad that I really wanted to do accounting. And we had come to Nairobi. We had looked for a school. And they got money, which wasn't an easy task yeah, for parents who my dad, I think, had just retired and his dues were hadn't been paid. So it was really tough. But I remember the sacrifices that they had to make for them to put me through college. So anyway, I took a hostel in Nairobi, paid for my college fees, and I started my accounting degree, I mean accounting course. First course uh, goes and I pass and then the calling letter for the university comes. Of course, I had we had done university selection when we were in high school. And my first choice was either Nairobi University or Kenyatta University. I cannot remember which of the two. And it was to do a business-related course. And hence the reason I had pushed my parents to pay for me an accounting course because I could see the complementarity in that. Then my calling letter comes and I am called to Egerton University, which is like in Joro once again, and to take a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture. Again, my dreams were crushed. I remember I got a call from my dad and he's like, yes, excited. You've been called to university. To my parents at that time, I think for them, the idea was like, just as long as you, you step into university, that's all we need. And for me, I had come to Nairobi. I had interacted with people. I had seen opportunities. I had seen what it meant to, to school in Nairobi because you could be able to do different courses. At that time, I was just hell-bent. And also, I really didn't want to, do, to take agriculture or Bachelor of Science in Agriculture course. So I traveled home and I broke the news to my parents and I told them, you know what, I'm not going to Ejeton. Um, I really want you to support me. I want you to pay for my CPAs until section six. And then after I'm done, I will try and bridge and get into a parallel course and pursue my degree. Oh my goodness. My dad, once again, <laughs> was not hearing any of it. He was livid. He's like, you got a calling letter to university. You are going to university. First degree does not matter. You need to go to university. Well, I remember he even took it upon himself to take me to um, Calro, the Kenya Agricultural Research Institute at that time in Naivasha to try and talk to people who have done the course and who were successful in their own right. That didn't work. It didn't speak to me at all. He contacted somebody from the same office, but now from the headquarters in Nairobi. And I remember we traveled, the two of us, and he came and my uncle, his brother, who used to work there, uh, introduced us to a couple of people for them to also encourage me and tell me how uh, good of a course it is but I wasn't hearing any of it I remember after that Nairobi trip we went back home and I told my dad imagine I'm still not doing this course and it was at that point my dad flipped and told me just get out of my house go <laughs> 
And remember, I was staying in a hostel that had to be paid on a monthly basis. And luckily, that month had already been paid. So I packed my bags and came back to Nairobi. And I was going to classes and I was doing my research and trying to find out how is it that I can do an inter-university transfer, something that I hadn't heard of, of course, before. But I was really determined. So I remember contacting my sister's husband who knew somebody, a, a very distant relative who used to work for Kenyatta University. And I told him, just give me his number. I will look him up and I will ask him to guide me through this process. And shout out to Daniel Wasonga because the guy guided me <laughs> through the process. He encouraged me. I remember going to his office in KU and sitting down and he helped me construct my motivation letter as to why I was applying for joining Kenyatta University and changing the course. And I did that and the letter went through so many processes. They had to they had to sit. There was a tribunal that reviews that and I had to, to appear before it and convince them why I wanted to join Kenyatta University and of course all this time remember there's so much tension at home my dad is not talking to me my mom has to now look for money to support my life in Nairobi and in the hostel and all of that there's tension between my parents because my mom is like you're being too hard on this girl it looks like she has something going let's give her an opportunity or let's talk to her Let's try and keep talking to her. But my dad is like, nope, I'm not talking to anybody who has refused to go to university after they have already been called. So it was really tough. And it took like two months for me to get the decision from the Senate or whatever they call it, the tribunal at Kenyatta University, accepting me into the university to take a course in economics and business. Guys, <laughs> I cannot even explain the happiness, the joy, the relief that was in me that day when I was called to go to Kenyatta University and I was given my letter by the DVC registration at that point. Deputy Vice Chancellor in charge of registration gave me my letter, said, congratulations, you are very, very re resilient and that will take you far. I can never forget those words. I took a matatu, what we use here as public transport, all the way to Nairobi town, got into a matatu all the way to Naivasha. I got home at about 7 o'clock, my letter in hand, placed it on the table, called my dad and mom to a meeting and told them, guys, I have a calling letter for Kenyatta University. Ah, guys. <laughs> The happiness, the joy that was in that home. They embraced me. My dad hugged me. He apologized for not trusting in me and my, my dream. And I only had like four days between when I was given the calling letter to when I was actually supposed to report to Kenyatta University. So it was now a marathon of trying to get things bought and get me ready for for university and I remember very fondly the day that I reported and my dad and mom accompanied me to the university and my dad was carrying my suitcase literally on his head and we went to Kenyatta University and we met with Mr. Wesonga who had helped me through the process and 
I did the registration, got a hostel, and they hugged me goodbye. My goodness, the joy, the joy, the tears, the amusement, <laughs> the happiness is just, I don't know what to tell you guys. You know, when you have fought for something so hard and you're coming from, from a place where you had a limited mindset in terms of what is possible, you know, our mind could only think to a certain extent. So yeah, um, I went into university. So anyway, I went through university and in there I met amazing people. I met my best friends who are still my friends to date. I was also doing my accounting degree as I pursued my other degree. And by the time I was done, I was done with the two of them. And now campus was over. I graduated and I didn't have a job as is the case in Africa for most people. And I remember I did a few things to try and survive. At some point, my friend uh, Sue and I uh, traded hand, second-hand handbags. I remember we used to go to one of the largest um, second-hand markets in Nairobi called Gekomba. We would buy ba uh, handbags, would get home, clean them, straighten them, make them look good, take photos and sell them. And it was a good gig. We we made some good money, actually. <laughs> At that point, I remember, you know, doing a few things here and there, being a research assistant to uh, Mr. Wesonga, and, you know, just trying to make ends meet because I was so determined not to go back home <laughs> with my degree and staying at home. So I was really trying to do anything that could give me a little bit of money to help me survive. So um, anyway, after that, I got reunited with one of my cousins who is one of the women who have really impacted my life in ways that are amazing <laughs> that's all I can sum it up as and uh, she invited me to live with her and uh, you know try and get a job when I was still living with her so and she would really encourage me every day and she'd come home from work and she'd tell me you know what have you done today bring your CV let's look at it you know have you approached this and this um, direction and all of that and I remember her telling me you know as you wait why don't you enroll into Kenya Institute of Management and do a postgraduate diploma in in management and actually in hindsight that was one of the best decisions that I ever made because it was quite um, an enlightening course it was very practical it did bring the work environment into reality. So by the time I was getting a position to work as an intern, as an attache to a commissioner as her personal assistant, I was already sort of in the reality of what a workplace should look like and how to conduct yourself in a workplace. And at this point, let me just say that my first job was the most perfect kick off to my career journey because I worked for somebody who was a real mentor, somebody who was impeccable in her word and in her deeds, somebody who was so focused and she really instilled in me the work ethic and what to do uh, in certain circumstances, how to approach difficult times in the workplace. 
she has remained a mentor and a friend to date and the two years that I worked with her, I really grew as a person, especially being that it was my first time working in a formal environment. She exposed me to travel, to organizing meetings. She exposed me to so, so much. And that really gave me a good kickstart to my career journey. So I worked with her for about two years and then I had to leave because even her, she was leaving, her term was ending, she was a constitutionally appointed commissioner and her second term was ending so we both left the organization and I got another job, uh, a short-term contract for working for another international NGO and this was simply, you know, like um, a response program which was just going to last a few months and it was for a program that was uh, running in Somalia. Uh, for the refugees in Somalia. So anyway, whilst I was in this new organization, um, I was still living with my cousin. And one day she flipped through the newspaper and saw an advert of a job, a finance and administration assistant job uh, in a different organization, which she hadn't quite heard of. But she was like, she left it. She was traveling that day. So she left it with her house manager at that time, which who is still there with us until today. And she told her when Wanjiko comes in the evening, please tell her to, to look at this job. And she traveled. And when I came home, the lady told me, um, Carol said that she look at this advert. And I did and put my CV together. And in two days, I sent out the application. And funny enough, when she came back from her travel, we never even talked about the application or anything. And I also hadn't heard of the organization. I didn't even, you know, I just Googled it a bit for me to get a bit of information as I applied for the job, but I didn't really pay much attention. So anyway, I applied and I continued to go to my short-term temporary contract job. And I remember one day, it was a Thursday, I was uh, in a car back home and I got a phone call and I was invited to an interview. And they're asking me to really go on short notice because they were like, it's Thursday, can you come tomorrow? And luckily, the organization that I used to work for used to have a half day on Fridays. We used to work until 2 p.m. So I remember telling uh, the guy that uh, the, only, the earliest I can get there is 3 because I have to work until 2 p.m. tomorrow. So he was like, okay, you come on over. I went to this interview at 3 o'clock I got into the room. There was a panel of like six very seriously looking and dressed gentlemen. They grilled me for about an hour and a half. I was moved to go and interview with somebody else who was like the ultimate decision maker, I guess, in the organization. I was made to wait at the reception. That time it's going to almost 4 or 5 p.m. They called up my references who are listed on my CV and I was again called in and we negotiated my contract. And that evening at about 7.30, I was handed my contract for that job. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And I remember walking out of that organization. I was even given a taxi to go home in by the organization because it was going to eight. I'd been there for hours, but I had gone home with a contract. And I remember calling my cousin Carol and telling her what had happened. And she was like, what? So we got home. 
and I remember also calling my mentor one boy and telling her I have been offered this job. So the three of us were now googling this organization and trying to learn more about it. Is it even legit? Who who does that? You know. And yeah, that's how I got into the organization that I'm still currently working for. Of course, in a different capacity. It's been nine years of ups, downs, challenges, but mainly growth. So why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this story because I believe that each one of us has a story. Every one of us has a story and we aren't competing. Like there's no story that is better than the other. No, but every story um, unfolds in someone's life in the way that it should. And I don't believe a lot in coincidences. And I believe that every every life experience is geared towards either making you a better person or aligning you to your destiny or ensuring that you're prepared for further, like future challenges or whatever it is. So as I was thinking of the people and the women in my life who have really contributed a great deal into who I am today, and this month I'm going to appreciate them and have been telling them uh, over the years that I really appreciate them, but I'm, I won't tire in doing it. It's because I was just thinking of also the lessons, the lessons that I have learned along the way. Number one, I have learned that I'm a very positive person, even in the midst of those disappointments when I got calling letters to institutions that I didn't want to go to. Somehow deep down me, I knew that there was always going to be a way and I think I picked this a lot from my mom she's also very positive and operates a lot in faith and prayer and just believing that there's going to be a way for whatever that you it is that you're seeking for so being positive is one of the things that I really have had for a long time the other lesson about me and my journey is that I am really resilient and I have built my tenacity over time and all these experiences have been towards continuously honing this um, skill is it a skill really or character in me because I have gone through challenges in my adult life that if I weren't resilient or if it weren't for the resilience that I had built over the years they probably have really shaken me so yeah building my resilience was part of this journey Number three lesson that I have picked from my story is that I have learned to speak up when I need to. I have learned to say what I am convicted deep down, even if it is not the, the smartest thing in the room, even if it's not what people want to hear, if it, even if it does not conform to societal standards. I recall during my graduation party for my uh first degree and my dad stood up and said this girl she has shown us that it is possible to go after your dreams she has shown us that if you really truly believe in yourself and do not let anything distract you you are going to make it and he gave the entire story of how he had not he had told me to get out of his house and how it was a very difficult time when he thought that I was defying him by saying that I was not going to go to Egyptian University so I have learned in life and I still apply that to date today I am one of those people who will give feedback <laughs> 
to whoever it is, as long as I feel convicted in me that probably something should be looked at differently or something is not right or I want to weigh in my opinion on something, I will weigh in my opinion. And in my experience, it has opened up doors for me that wouldn't otherwise be opened, yeah? In my journey, I have discovered my passion and this is to do with caregiving. I really love to caregive. I have taken care of my grandma, my grandpa, uh, other very close people um, to me in my life and I'm really, really passionate about the elderly and yeah, it helped me discover this passion in me. And then the other thing, in life that for me in my journey has really been a reality for me is that opportunities may be there but if you do not take action and pursue them and seek them by the way they'll pass you by if for instance I didn't take my cousin Carol's um, advert seriously when she told the nanny to come and tell me to look at it I wouldn't have gotten called for for this job that has continued to give me my career and daily bread for the last eight going to nine years now you know so opportunities opportunities are there sometimes they come dressed in the most weird attires yeah sometimes good things are packaged in ways that are not pretty but sometimes you have to dig in there you have to put yourself out there. You have to embrace the opportunity. You have to be willing to go through the fire sometimes for you to come out as gold. So be proactive. Take advantage of opportunities. Put yourself out there. And then things will just fall in place. So in summary, I think what I meant to share with my story is that in life, no experience is is wasted. And we were reflecting with my mom about this the other day and we were talking about how growing up she always thought that for me there's nothing that has come easy and I've had to first um, get a roadblock before I could get my breakthrough but looking back it has made me a very strong character it has made me who I am it has made me very positive it has made me very ambitious and yeah, our experiences actually do impact on who we are. So that's my story. Think about your story. Reflect about your journey. Where have you come from? And learn to appreciate and thank God for your journey and see how even the hard times have contributed to, you know, the better you, the better you and continue to take lessons from these life experiences. So till the next time, uh, please think about your stories. Let's continue appreciating the women in our lives. Let's continue being those women who are impacting other women who are either, you know, behind us in terms of journeys or in age, those people who need support, who need encouragement, who need hand-holding, Let's do that because together we are stronger and actually it doesn't take anything from you to assist somebody, especially in their self-development and growth journey. If anything, it just empowers you more. So be encouraged, be encouraged. And uh, if you have gone through 
you know, like great tragedies or challenges in your life, look at your journey uniquely as your own and try and learn as much as possible from what your journey was meant to teach you. All right, uh, catch you on the next one. I'd like to dedicate this episode to my late grandma and my late grandpa, whom I have fondly remembered throughout this episode. They were amazing grandparents. My grandma was such a strong woman, a leader, a church leader, and just generally a strong woman. And my grandpa was the most amazing man, old school, but still very forward-thinking, a real champion of women empowerment and I really miss them both they are both resting and I pray that they may continue resting in peace and to all the women who support my journey have been supporting and men as well who are currently supporting or have always supported my journey career-wise and personal growth-wise bless you bless you bless you I really appreciate you I will not tire to say thank you and to continue growing and sharing with you. And as I was um, having a run through of this episode, I came across a point, a segment where I talked about joining campus in 2015. Scratch that. I am a real dinosaur when it comes to when I was last in school. (laughs) So what I meant was in 2005. Please uh, share this episode and let's catch you on the next one.